Baptist Church, Charlotte. Anyway, God bless you all. We're honored to have you today. I'm reading Psalms 27, verse number one. Psalms 27, verse number one. This is a Psalm of David. As you know, I've been reflecting on the life of David for several weeks now. The Lord is my light and my salvation. How many of you know that scripture? Say it with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, elbow your neighbor and say, I'm tired of you being scared all the time. <laughs> One of the tricks that <clears throat> the enemy of our soul plays on us one of the tricks that the principalities and the powers of this carnal world play on us is to get us to do in duty what we were called to do in destiny. To give us a sense of just trying to make it to church another Sunday. To try to make it through another holiday season. To keep ourselves mostly prayed through. Key word there being mostly. Uh, to keep ourselves kind of, you know, at a place where uh, we're able to make it with some hope in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, when we really have been destined by God to stand in this hour in the very place that we have been planted, to stand in our families, to stand in our neighborhoods, to stand in our friendship groups as one who is to represent the kingdom of God, one who is to stand in the promises and purposes of God. If the enemy can get the church to do in duty what we were called to live out in destiny, we will do it in obligation and therefore miss the joy of it all. We will miss the hope that is underneath the work that is involved in the kingdom. All churches progress through people who will work in the kingdom of God. Yes, the Lord has a heavenly host, but he will not have them preach the gospel that he wants us to preach. He will not have them show the love he wants us to show. You are ordained and destined by God to make a difference in your world. I need a real big amen on that. In fact, I need to tarry here for a moment. I need you to turn back to the person who you told you were tired of them being scared. And I want you to tell them they need to expect greater things than they've been expecting. You are called and purposed by God. God was not drunk the day he placed you in your neighborhood. God was not off the hour when he placed you in your generation. God has a purpose for you. And can somebody say amen? Uh, we talk ourselves out of our purpose. And if we're not careful, our fears will talk us out of our purpose. Uh, our critics, somebody say critics. Our critics will talk us out of our purpose. My title today is Living in the Comments Section. Living in the Comments Section. 
If you were to, in some way, have a breakthrough and go viral in your world, let's say today you're a nobody from nowhere, but you have been working in your garage and you've designed the secret to free energy, and tomorrow you announce you have the secret to room temperature superconductivity, and you are now somebody, and they're flogging to your door, and they're pounding, and they're chasing you with cameras, or let's say you weren't so smart. Let's say you were just pretty, and tomorrow you got a contract to be the next supermodel. I know they call me every day, want me to be the next supermodel, or at least sometimes when I take a nap, I have that dream. Uh, Maybe you are an athlete. Maybe you can shoot three-pointers better than anyone else, and now you have a contract, a nine-digit contract with some sports, professional sport. All of a sudden, you've gone from a no-name to a household name. All of a sudden, there is pressure on you. You've got to perform. You've got to put the round ball in the round hole. You've got to get the oblong ball through the uprights or over the line. You are now a somebody. Let's say you're dating a supermodel or an actress or an actor. Let's say you solved some world problem like cancer. You went from being a nobody to a somebody, and all of a sudden, you have to survive in a whole new way of being. You have to now survive where it's difficult for you to go out to a restaurant. It's difficult for you to hang out at the local the local Target, uh, the local Starbucks, because everywhere you go, you are harassed. You are followed. You are now a name. It is fun at first, and then it gets old really fast, and you realize the pressure is building, and you, you start to have trouble sleeping, and you start looking everywhere you go to see if someone recognizes you, and the pressure is building, and your agent, who you have an agent now, your agent's worried about you, and uh, the agent calls someone else you didn't know was on your staff. This is your image consultant. And your image consultant has a meeting with your financial advisor. Yes, you have a, what do you call it? An entourage. And they stage an intervention. They see you not handling it well. They see you spiraling downward. They see you making angry comments. And they have advice for you. And it's the same advice that's given to everybody who goes through this. It's the same advice that's given to every new NFL prospect, every new NBA prospect, everybody who went from a nobody to a somebody. Here's the advice. Stop reading what people say about you. That's the advice. Advice they all get. You were picked up first round in the draft. I want you to stop listening to sports radio. I want you to stop reading what commentators who have never held a football on a professional field in their life, or even if they had, their day is past. I want you to stop living in the comments section. Because if you don't get out of the comments section, you will not need to be defeated you will have destroyed yourself. (laughs) The first thing an individual who has arrived at this level of notoriety, they have to stop worrying about what people who know less than nothing have to say about them. They have to stop reading what critics have to say. And if they don't, it almost to an individual drives them crazy. 
they're living in the comments section. Um, there is an interesting story from the life of David. I don't know if I've ever preached from this with the exception of when I did my series, um, uh, Bible study series on the life of David. I did a, a Bible study on this. But as far as a sermon, I don't know that I've ever preached from this. I am going to direct your attention to 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 16 and verse number 5. I'll give our, our screen operators a moment to get there. I don't know if I sent it to them in their notes. A lot of times I make a plan, but then I don't follow the plan. And uh, they're left trying to follow in the detritus of what I leave behind. Uh, so 2 Samuel 16, verse number 5, I'm going to read from the NIV. Uh, I love uh, NIV. If, when it comes to beautiful language or beautifully written, NIV is my favorite of the uh, almost rhetorically sounding, beautifully written uh, passages um, or translations, I should say. This is a story of David after he has... Um, he has survived the initial civil war that has been sparked by his son Absalom. Um, he is fleeing from his city. He's fleeing from his palace. The army has turned against him. He only has a few men with him. Uh, his wise men of counsel have turned against him for the most part. And his son has laid the groundwork of hatred focused at David. And now David is uh, fleeing for his life. And in chapter 16, he is leaving uh, this city that God gave him. God, uh, Jerusalem was not of the tribes of Israel when David became a king. Uh, David grew up in Bethlehem, but when he became a king, he looked around and he saw a neutral city, would later be called the city of David. Uh, it was Jerusalem, and it was the city of the Jebusites, and he went there, and he uh, became king. He and his men took that city, and he proclaimed a neutral city as the seat of his uh, government, and this city of peace would forever be known as the city of David, but Absalom has staged a civil war, and Absalom is threatening his life, and so David in chapter 16 is fleeing from Absalom. Let's, let's read at uh, verse number five, as David approached Bahiram a man from the same clan as Saul's family. This is the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Saul's family came out from there, and his name was uh, Shimei. That's how we pronounce it in the English. I think a, a Hebrew pronunciation would be more Shimei, but uh, let's just stick with what we're used to. Shimei, son of Gera. And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and David's left. Imagine the scene. David is leaving with his household guard. Even though he's running for his life, he still has an impressive uh, force of, of mighty men with him. And this Shammai comes out and he's giving him a proper cussing. I, I don't know if any of you have ever received a proper cussing, but um, I worked for many years in construction and I want you to know I have received more than a handful of proper cussings. Uh, he is giving David a proper cursing and he is pelting him with stones and he's crying out, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul in whose place you have reigned. The Lord, he claims, has repaid you 
for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul. Let me just point out a couple things right here. The Lord has at times pronounced judgment upon David, but never for slaying the house of Saul. Would you wonder for a moment with me why the Lord never pronounces judgment upon David for slaying the house of Saul? Uh, If you are any type of a Bible nerd, you know that David didn't slay the house of Saul. David famously would not lay his hand upon Saul, and he cut a piece of his garment when Saul laid defenseless before him in the cave of Abdullam, and he used it as a testament to Saul, saying, look, I could have killed you, but I I did not. I, I desire no harm against you. I see you as God's anointed. I will not harm you. Uh, David does not touch uh, a hair on the head of Saul. Furthermore, the sons of Saul are not slain at the hand of David. How do they die? They die on the battlefield fighting um, the Philistines. What else happens on that day? The Ark of the Covenant is lost on that day. The sons of uh, Saul are slain on that day. This is, um, uh, you, you could say, an unfair accusation. Now, has David done wrong? Yes. Has David sinned? Yes. Has David at times received the judgment of God upon his life? Somebody say yes. But he's not guilty of this. I want to say for the record, I haven't done half the stuff people say I've done. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? I have a witness in the house here today. I'm not perfect, but I didn't do some of the crazy stuff they said I did. They're just crazy. I feel like I need a better amen than that. You can accuse me of any number of bad things, my brother, my sister, but you shouldn't accuse me of that. I'll never forget someone accused me of something, and I I told them, I said, look, I'm not saying I'm incapable of that. I'm just saying I'm innocent of it this time. (laughs) All right, moving along in a religious manner here. Uh, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul. David hasn't killed anybody in the household of Saul. The worst, the, the, what he's done instead is brought the grandson of Saul to his table. Anyway, <clears throat> the Lord has given the kingdom into, your, into the hands of your son, Absalom. Now, ask yourself this question. As we consider the authenticity of uh, Shimei, has the Lord given the kingdom to Absalom? Again, if you're uh, at all aware of the story, you know Absalom is not going to get the kingdom. Strike two. Here's an individual who has been wrong, not once, but twice, uh, and he both times has claimed God. Told him to do it. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, this is one of David's mighty men. Uh, He's the kind of guy who has no problem fighting giants or killing lions. He says, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Violent men know how to solve things with violence. I hope you have more than violent men in your life. The king says, what does this have to do with you, sons of Zariah? 
if he is cursing me because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse for the Lord has told him to. Now, has he gotten anything right that he said? No. Well, if nothing is right in what he is saying, you can be sure the Lord hasn't told him to say it. Why? The Lord has no need to lie. It is limited beings that need to lie because we want things we cannot deliver. But God is infinite. It is just as easy for God to tell the truth as it would be for you to lie because there's nothing too hard for God. I'm going to try it on this side of the church. I said there's nothing too hard for God. If some of you believe that, you might be the first one on your feet here today. You might be the first one shouting God, shouting to God in your trial. You might be the first one lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Why? There's nothing too hard for God. I'm impressed with my troubles, but God is not impressed with my troubles. I'm impressed with my doctor's report, but God is not impressed with the doctor's report. David is being kind when he says the Lord told him to do it. David is not speaking for the Lord. David is being kind. Leave him alone. Let him curse. It may be, verse 12, that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. It may be. Now, I want to just here talk about this idea of criticism because you can't read this passage without uh, accepting the fact that David is getting a proper uh, roundabout cursing out. He is being told and then told again, and that is just the way it is. There's no way to make it pretty. There's no way to make it uh, acceptable. He is being told every which way from Friday that he is a no good, no good, and that's just the way it is. And this man is so filled with rage that he risks his own death to say something that has been in him to say. There is some hatred that is in him. If you if you cultivate that rage long enough, it's not going to stay inside of you. You need to pray for healing. If you cultivate and you nurture uh, the word spoken against you long enough, there's going to come a day when you're not going to be able to be quiet. It's going to come out. And it might be that when it comes out, it won't be the truth. It'll be your truth. In other words, you'll have told the story to make yourself look good and everyone else to look bad. And it might be you are so filled with emotion that the emotion is larger than your wisdom and you start pronouncing what God said when God did not say. Here's a man filled with rage and he brings it. He brings it. Lord, does he bring it? And he curses David roundly and properly. And David is about to reveal something that is profound and it is necessary for any one of us who desires to make a difference in the world we live in. Before I finish with that, I want to point out how most of us learn to handle criticism. If you do anything uh, that has 
has anything to it, you're going to be criticized. Elbow your neighbor again and say, that includes you. If you do anything, you will be criticized. If there is any success in it, you will be doubly criticized because people love you when you're struggling. But if you start to get ahead of them, it's like two crabs in a bucket. They're going to pull you right back down to the crab layer. They do not want you to have success. Uh, if you do something and it fails, people won't notice. If you do something and it succeeds, they're going to come after you because your existence makes them feel bad about themselves. Your success makes them feel heavy about themselves. And the way to relieve is not to discipline the self and try harder. The way to relieve is to blame you, even if you didn't do it, even if you didn't touch the family of Saul. It makes their life better to hate you, even if you didn't do it. And so, stay with me, I'm preaching to you. So, I have some philosophical insight for you from no less a name than Aristotle himself. He says, criticism is something you can avoid easily by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. <laughs> but the moment you decide to say something, do something, or be something, you're going to be criticized. So, my brothers and my sisters, we know offense must come. We know offense is part of the journey. I am preaching this to you today because this is the honest truth. The kingdom of God needs you to take some chances in your world. The kingdom of God needs you to speak up with a testimony. The kingdom of God needs you to open the Bible and sit down with them. The kingdom of God needs you to tell someone you're going to pray for them this week. The kingdom of God needs you to open your mouth and speak your testimony. As long as you hide, chaos remains upon the face of the earth. But when God wants to bring order, he speaks his word over the chaos. He has placed you in your world, and he needs you to start taking some chances. You were called for a spiritual purpose. Is there any apostolics here today? I need you to believe this. I need you to get this in your heart. You were called. You were called for a purpose. It's not an accident. You're saying within your heart, oh, oh, what about this mistake I made? Okay, what about it? What about this error I made? Okay, what about it? God is in the business of using imperfect, broken uh, sinners who he did not leave in their place of sin, but he washed them and made them new. God needs you. In fact, it's even worse than that. God has decided he will limit himself to you. That means First Church needs some people to stand up and say, I'm not perfect, but God said go, and I'm willing to go. I don't know everything there is to know about Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic, but God said go. Here am I, Lord, send me. Oh, God, I'm praying right now that you would awaken within us a sense of spiritual purpose, a calling, an anointing, a passion. We pray against that spirit of at ease. We pray against spiritual apathy. And we pray for an awakening with every one of our hearts in Jesus' name. If you're ever going to teach a home Bible study, you're going to have to learn how to deal with criticism. 
If you're ever going to host a small group, you're going to have to learn how to deal with criticism. If you're ever, the only ministry in the church that doesn't get criticized is the sound production ministry. They get no criticisms whatsoever. The sound man never gets any criticism. It's just the other ministries that are criticized. So if you want to volunteer and never be criticized, you need to talk to the sound people and get you one of those black first church production shirts because they never get any criticisms. The rest of us, we get beat about the head, neck, and shoulders. My father taught me one thing about criticism is uh, the first thing you ask is, is there any truth in it? Because if it's true, wouldn't you want to know? If it's true, that means it's true anyway. So wouldn't you want to know? Um, There are sometimes gifts in criticism, and I pray that we have a heart willing to seek truth in prayer. Can I have a big amen? Therefore, God can bring good out of bad. What they meant to use to destroy you, God has recycled in his spiritual recycling process. The second thing you ask yourself again, my dad taught me this, is does the person have credibility with you? If you do not respect their decisions, don't worry about their criticism. But there should be some people in your life, their credit is good. And when they tell you you're acting dumb, you need to receive it from them and say, I didn't know I was acting dumb, but they have credit. Therefore, I will receive it from them. Um, there is so much more to say on this. I, I, I want you to understand that anything that comes to you in pain, anybody cursing you, anybody harming you, anybody throwing stones at you, uh, the single most important thing you can do with pain is take it to prayer and place it before the Lord and give it as an offering to him. The single, I want to preach to people who have pain in your life. How are you doing taking your pain to your prayer room? Are you hurting? How are you doing taking it to your prayer closet? Because if you're not taking it to your prayer closet, my brother, my sister, I don't know how you're making it. Chances are you're getting bitterer and bitterer. Is that a word? Let's make it a word. You're getting more and more brittle, more and more cynical, and you're building a treehouse in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's going to be nothing left for you but cynicism and criticism and a heart that compares yourself one with another. There is no innocence of faith there. There is no childlike hope in the kingdom of God, and there is no ability to see good in and even the people who lie about you. Come on now. This is the moment where you're going to learn something about the heart of David. This is the moment where you're going to see one of the unique things that makes David a man after God's own heart. And the story is told right uh, here. We read it together. Uh, I have talked briefly about how uh, the conventional way to think about criticism is some of the things we talked about and acknowledging that people really don't want you to have great success. They want you to have a little bit of success uh, and it can be a problem. All of these things are good instructions. Uh, You have to stay focused on your mission. You have to stay focused on your calling. Uh, You have to learn from your mistakes, but you do not need to build a house on Mistake Avenue. You need to move on from your errors. You need to turn mistakes into building blocks, not roadblocks. 
All that is good advice for handling criticism. Now let's go back to the story of David. There's another way to see this moment. It's not just about receiving criticism. It's about blessing and cursing. There's another way. Let me repeat myself. That's what preachers have done since time immemorial. There's another way. Let me tell you, it's not just uh, preachers who repeat themselves. Even the Lord repeated himself, but I'll save that for another time. Uh, There's another way to see this moment. It's not really about criticism. It's about blessing and cursing. If I were to tell something bad about you, even if it were true, I would be contrary to uh, the word of God because I should not be looking to harm you in any way. Can I have a big amen? Uh, there is a moment of grace in the scripture where you see how grace is the act of covering one another's transgression. Uh, we walk justly, but we are told to have a heart that loves mercy. This is what is required of you, old man, to walk justly and love mercy, to walk humbly before your God. It would be wrong if I made you look bad, if I criticized you, if I t- t- bore a t- tell about uh, you around the church. Now, I know that does not stop a lot of people. I know a lot of people love nothing more than to get the latest story about what happened at First Church. They, they love it. It's human nature. I want to point out this to all of you. It's not just a church problem. It is a human problem. You can blame the church for it if you would like to, but they'll do it at your place of work to it. Uh, you can blame uh, the preacher for it, but they'll do it in uh, your neighborhood too. It's a human problem. And so when we read the story, we take all of the lessons of criticism and hopefully we learn, but uh, the lesson here I want to take away is not criticism. It's blessing and cursing. There is no moment in the life of David that shows how much he values what God thinks than this moment in his life. We call him a man after God's own heart. We call him the friend of God. We call Jesus Christ the son of David. And the throne established by Jesus is that throne of David that is established through Jesus as the son of David, to which we all say, have mercy on us. Uh, This is a moment where there is nothing, no moment in the life of David that reveals more than this moment that he cares about what God thinks. David, hear me. I'm going to try to wrap up pretty quick here. David does not worry about what you can say about him, but he worries a lot about what God thinks about him. He doesn't worry about the names you can call him, but he worries a lot about what God thinks about him. You could see a survey in the life of David. Let me show you two other places. When David fights Goliath, it's not because he got himself hyped up. It's not because he was seeking the prize. His offense is spoken in his words. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to do what? Embarrass us? No. To challenge the Lord God Almighty. 
David cares about what God thinks. He doesn't worry much about what Shimei thinks, but he worries a lot about what God thinks. One more passage, 2 Samuel 6, verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, this is verse 16, 2 Samuel 6, Michal, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing, before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. David did sacrifice offerings, and when he finished with all that, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He fed them. They all went to their homes. David goes home, verse 20. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came to him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Sarcastic people have a sarcastic sound. How has the king of Israel distinguished himself today? Going around half naked. That's where Pastor Don got that doctrine that he was talking about the other Sunday. Going around half dirt naked in full view. I'm going to have fun with that for a while. Just be warned. Of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Any vulgar failure. I want you to notice something here. David has not worried, even for a little while, what anybody watching him thinks. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David. And there is in his heart this great passion, this great longing. He wants to be a part of the ministry of worship, not just an executive of law and order. This is the heart of David. He's placed in the role of kingship, the chief executive of law and order. But what he craves is to be a part of the ministry ministry of worship. And so he says, it's no, there's no place right now for my ministry of law and order. There's no room for the chief executive of Israel right now. All they can do is be quiet. So I want to switch over into the ministry of worship. How would I act if I didn't have to worry about being a king? How would I praise if God had placed me in the ministry of worship? Everything we do in the kingdom of God in our service is worshiping, praising, clapping hands, waving hands. All that comes out of the heart of David. And he leads the whole house in praise and worship. Michael cares about the opinion of even slave girls. But David had not even thought about that. And David said to her, verse 21, it was before the Lord. Oh, yeah. Who's worried about slave girls? I hadn't even thought about this. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will sell, come on somebody right now. I will, say it with me, celebrate. I want to hear it louder than that. I will celebrate. Oh, I wish someone in this house could celebrate a little bit right now. It was the Lord who chose me. It was God who chose me. 
You may be seated. Verse 22. I will become even more undignified than this. Here's the deal. Once I know how you calculate dignity, I know whose opinion you care about. Once I know your calculus for dignity, I know whose opinion you are caring about. So, Michael, according to your calculus of dignity, baby, you haven't seen anything yet. Because by your calculus of dignity, it's going to be worse tomorrow than it was today. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I'm not here playing a game. I'm here to be a worshiper. And I stand in the role of worship. David cares profoundly about what God thinks. There's no other reason for him to accept insult and criticism in the lowest part of his life. He has mighty men there begging to be led off their leash. David is not afraid of killing people. He is a warrior himself. The kingdom, unfortunately, due to the war of the times, is built upon death. David is just super comfortable capping a fool. You know what I'm saying? He is just super comfortable putting you six feet under for your own good. David is not nervous. David is not scared. He's not sensitive. He just wants to show you he doesn't care about your opinion. I'll let you say whatever you want to say. But if God might be listening, I would rather take a small chance that God would have mercy on me than care too much about your opinion. I would just... Just give me the small, musicians, you can come. Give me the smallest edge of a chance that God is listening to the ignorance that you're saying. God knows I haven't killed anybody from the house of Saul. I could have, but I didn't. But if there is any chance that God would hear this statement, I'm willing to take that chance. Because what I really care about is not curses or praises. What I really care about is blessings. And if there's any chance for a blessing, I'm here for it. Now you might think to yourself that this is David repeating the blessing given to him by Father Abraham. And what was that blessing? It actually was given to Abraham before David. The Lord said to Abraham, look, I'm going to bless who I'm going to bless. I want you to say it with me. God's going to bless who's God's going to bless. Now, being interpreted, what your neighbor said really doesn't matter that much. Because God's going to bless who God wants to bless. Those of you I'm trying to get up off of your duty to step into your destiny. I want to tell you, if God is for you, who can stand against you? Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall 
prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Now, I want to end with this. Wouldn't it be great? (coughs) Excuse me. Wouldn't it be great if you knew what David was thinking in this very moment and you didn't have to take my opinion for it? You've heard me up here preaching for three hours now about how you uh, don't have to care about people's opinion when you care about God's blessing. In fact, the more you care about God's blessing, the less you care about people's opinion. Somebody say yes. Yes. There is this inverse relationship. The more you care about people's opinion, the less you are able to authentically seek to please God. Wouldn't it be great if we could actually know what David was thinking when he walked away from a proper cursing? Wouldn't you like to know what he was in his mind? Wouldn't it be great if you didn't just have to listen to the preacher? Well, lucky for you, David decided in the moment walking away from Shimei that he would write a psalm and fleeing Absalom from the city of David surrounded by the few loyal members of his mighty men David wrote a psalm what's the last thing ringing in David's ears you are a shameful man you slew the house of Saul you're a bloody man you deserve what you're getting you're cruel you're wrong the last words ringing in David's ears a shammy making all of these accusations against him and so David writes a song and I'm going to share it with you it's Psalm number three in your Bible you can read it whenever you want to a Psalm of David when he fled Absalom, his son. Verse number one. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. David, what are you thinking about when you're walking away from a proper cursing? I'm I'm telling the Lord how this moment feels. Nobody thinks I can do anything for you, Lord. People don't think I can accomplish anything for you, Lord. People like it when I fail. They want me to die. People aren't in this for anything but their own purposes. But thou, O Lord, verse number three, are a shield for me. Thou, O Lord, stay with me all across the house. Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory. Read it with me. And the lifter up of mine head. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You're my glory. You're the one who lifts my head. David is teaching you something about what it means to have destiny on your life. You've got to care a lot about what God thinks. And once you start caring about what God thinks, it'll help you carry a lot less about what other people think. Verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy heels. Selah. I laid me down 
down and slept. I awakened for the Lord sustained me. David, what are you thinking about as you flee from your own palace? I think that if God be for me, who can be against me? Let me tell you what I'm thinking about when uh, Shemei gets done cursing me to the left and cursing me to the right. This is what I'm thinking about, verse 6. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me. My brothers, my sisters, the year to come depends upon us stepping out of duty and stepping into destiny. And many of you have felt the hand of God upon you and you knew what you could do in God. You knew what he had called you to do. You felt the possibility of it within your own spirit, but life will weigh you down. Can I have a big amen? Life can make you heavy. Life can fill you with fear. You start worrying about what somebody over here said about you. I tried to do something good, but guess what? Shocker, evil was present. I tried to teach a Bible study, but they stopped on the third week. I guess I'm not called for that. Uh, I tried to help with a ministry, but someone laughed at the way I did it. I guess I'm not cut out for that. Oh, you've got to get out of duty and you've got to take one giant step into destiny and say, I care about what you think, oh God. And if you are in it, it doesn't matter what anybody says. Lord, I pray for every heart here today. You know who I'm preaching to in this house. You know, the individuals that have been living beneath their spiritual purpose. You know, those of us who have more to be birthed within our heart. We have a calling upon us to step into wholeness and newness and joy. We have souls that are at our fingertips, as it were. You placed us adjacent to them, and you need us to be calling out in prayer. You need us to be the one with the open scripture. You need us to be the one to speak the word of life. I pray that we would be those people today. In Jesus' name, I pray. I pray you would awaken within us a passion, a calling, an anointing. Don't let us stop simply because someone showed up cursing. But help us, oh God, to fear you above everything else in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.